are in a series um, which we're talking about politics. We've called it Under God. And let me kind of just explain in case you're visiting today. When I say politics, I simply mean how do we get along with each other and make decisions and policies and everything? Now, that's got to do with basically all relationships. And so there's politics and how mom and dad do things and with the kids and our neighborhood and neighborhood association. And it works its way all the way up to president and Congress and everything else. Now, the question becomes, when we talk about politics, how are we going to dialogue and discuss things with other people and come to a consensus? Now, we've seen right now in our society a good portion of throwing rocks at one another. And then the question becomes, is that the way Christians do things? Is that the way Christ has instructed us to kind of get our way or get our point across? And the answer is sort of an emphatic, no, that's not the way Christ wants us to do things. So then the question becomes, okay, how are we going to engage in things with other people so that we can talk about our shared life together? So let me pray, and then we'll jump into all of that. If you'll pray with me, please. Father God, some people that are praying right now um, are not believers. They are just kind of listening to my voice and trying to be respectful, shutting their eyes and listening. And so, Father, I pray that you would meet them right there, right in the right in the middle of listening. Would you be looking for them and would, them, would they become aware that you love them and that you want to be a part of their lives? And I pray for the rest of us, Father. Some of us have been on vacations from you. Some of us are in autopilot. Some of us are just barely surviving. We're in all kinds of different places, Father. Would you meet us where we're at? And as we're learning today, would your Holy Spirit show us what's true and change our minds and change our hearts and change our behaviors so that we might be functioning the way you intended for us to function. And we pray all these things in your name, Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so what I want to do before we go to the first verse is I want to I invite you into my dream world. Excited? I wake up one morning, and it's a perfect morning. I wake up, the smell of coffee, my, my wife has brought me coffee in bed, my children have, have cooked breakfast, and it's a fantastic breakfast. And I run through my mind as I've awakened, you know, I, is it Father's Day, is it a birthday, what, what, is, what, is, what is this? A couple of the other kids come upstairs, they have little notepads. And they say, Father, before we, before we go off to school today, how may we honor you by knowing exactly what should be on our chore list and we want to accomplish those things before the end of the day. It's an odd little fantasy morning. I drink my coffee, eat my food, I'm getting respect, I'm getting honor, I'm getting submission, I'm getting obedience. Strange. I go downstairs, there's some bedrooms, kind of one, you know, down from our bedroom, and my, my children are kneeling in, next to their beds, and they're, they're praying for me, and they're saying, Father, I, I 
Father God, I thank you for my, for my earthly father, and he's a good man, and on and on. Now, here, here's, here's the fun of my fantasy. Let, let's just say that it goes by a whole day, but then it like reboots the next day. Like it goes for a couple of days. Now, for a couple of days, I'm going to be digging this. I'm going to be like, yeah, I got a list for you. And, but as it clips along, something else is going to happen. I'm being honored. And I'm being submitted to. And I'm being respected. And what's going to turn around in my mind after a while is, am I worthy of this? Am I, am I walking in such a way that, that they would want to do these things this way for me? It would transform me. The more time that goes by, I want to be sort of the person that actually would deserve those things. Do you understand that as a big idea? So with all of that in mind, I want to go to 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2. It says this. It says, I urge then, first of all, that four things, petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, I want you to notice that these petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings are not delivered to those that you deem worthy, that you have judged and discerned and assessed and decided that they deserve those things. It's actually laid out very differently than that. It says all people for kings and for all these people in authority. And what am I doing? Well, these four things, petitions are I'm asking God for things for them. I'm asking for God to keep them healthy. I'm asking for God to help them be wise. I'm asking all sorts of things for them. Prayers is a little more open-ended. It could be a lot of things. Intercession usually means that I'm stepping in for them and I'm asking God to forgive them. And then fourthly, I'm, I'm expressing thanks. Now, here's where things get interesting. You could read that and you could go, oh, those are some obligations that I have for people in authority. I'll just, I'll do those things and I'll be gone. No, no, no. I want you to think about if you did this, how much it would transform you. We'll get to the end of this verse in a minute, but how much would it transform you? Now, all people, that neighbor you can't stand, that teacher that you're always sideways with, those coworkers that deserve to be fired 20 years ago, your crazy boss, this president or the past president or the future president, what can you be thankful for? How can you intercede? What prayers can you do? What petitions can you do? Part of what's going on with all of this is you're starting to get in alignment with what God wants us to be. And part of what God wants us to be is servants to all. Loving to even our enemies. How are you doing at that is kind of this 
open question. The verse goes on and it says, after these things happen, it says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Peaceful and quiet. Now, again, I want you to think about how you relate to maybe some people in authority or some people that you just have, you know, all people, some people that you have relationship with. Is, is it characterized by quiet and peaceful? Not if you're not thankful and you're not interceding and you're not, because what's the opposite of all of that, right? What's the opposite of... Do you ever keep track of other people's mistakes? You know, just as a hobby. Or have you ever tried to have a little fight with God that goes something like this? Well, you know what, God? I'd be a better husband if my wife would be a better wife. Ha, 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 ha. I'd be a better employee if my boss wasn't such a... Yeah. And so what we do is we ditch out of our responsibilities through alleged discernment which is really just judgment. And even if the judgment's accurate, it's invalid because God doesn't care what your judgment is. He says to do these things. And that when we do these things, it's going to transform us. It's actually going to transform other people. It's going to create a peace and a quietness in us. It's also, it says, going to form godliness and holiness in us. And what you're starting to realize if you read this scripture is... Okay, do I look like a person that's doing this at all? Or do I look like the opposite? I give respect and I give honor to people that deserve it. And I give prayers and thanks to people that deserve it. Because I really am the high and mighty one. And I get to decide whether everybody is good, bad, based upon all kinds of scales. And then I deliver in return to them what they deserve. Except, of course, in one very significant place, which is when I go to God, I know I really don't deserve anything. And so I'm very humble and meek there. And God says, what are you doing? Let me move forward with this and give you a little bit more to think about. In Mark 12, verses 13 through 15, it says this. It says, then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him, Jesus, in order to trap him. Because trying to trap Jesus is like a little fun hobby. They wanted to trap him in a statement. And so they came. And they said to him, now notice, notice how thick this is. This is, you need waiters. Teacher, we know that you are truthful and you defer to no one. You're not partial to any, but you teach the way of God in truth. And then here's the mousetrap being loaded. Is it, is it, um, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar? Or not? Shall, shall we pay or shall we not pay? Now let me explain this trap. See, the Pharisees and the Herodians, so we've talked about Pharisees before. The Pharisees basically are, look, Rome's in charge of us. We're going to be collaborators with Rome. We hate Rome. We can't wait for the day that Rome goes away. We really want to run Israel, but we sort of run Israel under Rome. Now the Herodians are Rome. They are people that are completely aligned with Herod. And so they represent kind of the state. 
And so notice what the question is. Hey, Jesus, we know that you're wise and you're truthful and you're really good. We're not at all jealous that all the people are fascinated by you and following you. We don't view you as a threat at all. We're not here to trap you. And the way they load the trap is this. If Jesus says, don't pay taxes, the Herodians, who represent Caesar and Rome, are going to be ticked off, and the cops are going to come for Jesus for political insurrection. The flip side is if he says, yes, you know, you could rebel against these taxes. You don't owe them anything. Then what happens is the Jews go, oh, you're not really the Messiah. You're not really for us. You're just another one of those collaborators with Rome. They feel like they've got him trapped on either side. Pay taxes or don't pay taxes. Now, here's my point with all this. Are you going to let people frame things that way for you? Well, you've got to be a Republican or you've got to be a Democrat. Or you're either with us or you're with them. Or, you know, back when I was in school, it was, you know, freaks and geeks and nerds. And, you know, you get these little subcultures. You're in one or you're out of one. You can't, you can't move in between back and forth. You're a liberal or you're a conservative. You either band together with us against the boss or you band together with the boss and you're a brown noser. You see how you get framed this way all kinds of times? Your kids do it too. You know, are you on mom's side or are you on dad's side if mom and dad haven't gotten together on the same side yet? Are you going to be trapped that way into these this or that? Well, Jesus is, he's kind of smart. So let's, let's see what he does with the trap. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one. And he said, whose likeness and inscription is basically on this coin? And they said to him, well, it's, um, it's Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Why were they amazed? Because he wouldn't pick sides. It doesn't matter that everybody else is trying to corner you into two binary choices. You have more than that. The question becomes, you know, are you, you know, it's, it's the students against the teachers. No, it's not. It's employees against the boss. No, it's not. Republicans against Democrats. No, it's not. And the list goes on. No, 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 no. Notice not only is he framing it differently than they're expecting in terms of an answer, but there's a really interesting question here. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Now, that becomes an interesting question. You're a citizen, and the question becomes, okay, what things do I owe? What is my relationship to Caesar? What do I owe him? Huh. Render unto God the things that are God. Okay, I belong to God. I'm the citizen of heaven. What do I owe him? What's correct relationship with him look like? Now, it goes on. Okay, let me just kind of explain. Think about what is your relationship to all sorts of people? What's your relationship with your spouse? What's your relationship with your children? What's your relationship with your boss? 
Now, again, we all have a tendency to keep track of what we, what we think the relationship should be. But do we know what God, when he writes kind of his blueprints in his word, what he says our relationship is supposed to look like? So I could sit around. I don't know what it's like in your house, but I could sit around and I could, I could keep track of the mistakes of my spouse. But of course there are none because she's in the front row. But if I go through life that way, basically what I, what I say is I say, look, I am I, the great judge of all. I'm keeping track of the things that she does good, and I'm keeping track of the things that she does bad. She scores these points, so she deserves these, this level of, of thank yous, and she deserves this amount of you know, passive-aggressive behavior. That's the way we'll, we'll do things. Is that the way Jesus does things? Jesus says to love our enemies. Love the least of these. He rolls up his outfit and he washes the feet of his disciples. It's a very different way of looking at things. Instead of looking at what my boss or my teachers or everybody else is failing at, I'm looking instead about what's my obligation? What, if God's got these blueprints for the way life should work, am I functioning within whatever my blueprints are supposed to be? He knows their hypocrisy. Why are you testing me? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Do you know what things are Caesar's? Do you know what your obligations are? And render unto God those things that belong to God. Do you know what those things are? Are you functioning in those things? Let's make it a little more messy. Colossians 3, 18 through 19. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. What? What's going on? Well, in Ephesians 6, there's a whole bunch of other fun things like this. The idea basically is this. Wives, okay, are you in correct alignment, subject to your husbands, in a correct way, in a way that's fitting to the Lord? Husbands, are you loving your wives? Or are you bitter towards your wives and holding things against them? Where do you stand in this core relationship? And notice what it's saying is it's saying, what's your responsibility? It's not saying assess the other person's responsibility. So I don't know about you. Most of you guys have had perfect marriages because, you know, you guys have all been Christians a really long time, and and that's cool. I I appreciate, liars, that you do all that stuff. Um, (laughs) But in my case, you know, there, there may have been a time or two that I have gone, well, God, it's the woman you gave me. That's why I'm crazy. Adam said the same thing. It didn't work for Adam and it didn't work for me. Because what God basically says back is something like this. Um, Dave, I, I'm not even going to talk to you about Amy. Here's the question. The question isn't whether Amy's wrong. The question is, are you fulfilling all of my obligations for you to be a great husband. Well, I would do that if she were to get her act together. No, that's not where we're going with this. You can only control one thing. Are you a godly husband or not? Well, okay, I'll I'll do it if it'll change her. That's not what I said. Are you a man of character? Are you a man of integrity? Are you going to be 
Because again, it depends on how you frame it. You know, that, that woman that I've got. No, 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 no. That's God's daughter that I have to answer for. I have to answer to him for how I've treated her. Oh. Well, doesn't she have to answer? Wrong question. Now again, you can flip the question, wives. You have to answer to God for this boy or man that he's given to you. Are you fulfilling what you're supposed to do and the wife continuum? Now, this gets really interesting, especially if you walk out of church service today and you actually sit down and go, okay, what do I think of the blueprints in the Bible for being a husband? What do I think the blueprints in the Bible are for being a wife? Do I think that I'm fulfilling the obligations of these things? Where can I grow and where can I mature? Because if you'll notice, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, how does God transform the world? Well, God does not transform the world through me being in charge and getting my way. Everybody can bask in the genius of my wisdom and orbit around planet David in obedience and submission. No. It's not about me. And to be honest with you, my trying to be great is a fool's errand. But here's the deal. What if I looked around and said, well, you know what? God's positioned me towards this boss. He's positioned me towards this teacher. He's positioned me with these children. He's positioned me me with this wife to make them great. To serve them. You think about politicians again. If somebody's thrown a hundred rocks at you, even if they're right about something, do you listen to them? No. But somebody comes up to you and they've respected you They've submitted, they've honored, they've loved, they've forgiven. In short, they kind of act like a Christian. When it comes time for them to maybe confront you or ask you some hard question, you're way more likely to listen to them. Are we functioning in integrity in who we are is the big politics question. It goes on in Colossians 3, 20-21. Children, be obedient to your parents. (laughs) in all things this is well pleasing to the Lord what's this other thing well let's just skip that fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart again think about politics it's just about it's describing how do we engage in relationships in this case Children, you're not as smart as you think that you are, and you probably need to let your parents into pretty much all things in your life, and it's well-pleasing to the Lord because you probably won't self-destruct, as is your tendency. The flip side is fathers or mothers, are you so grinding your kids into the ground about academics, or grinding them into the ground about religion, or grinding them into the ground about whatever. You're exasperating them, you're overwhelming them, you're blowing them up. You start to see the balancing components of this. How are you doing at that? It goes on and it says this, slaves, 
Don't think North American slaves. I'll explain slaves here in a second. Think of employees for all practical purposes. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. What? Employees. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Slaves made up two-thirds of the Roman Empire. Slavery did not, by and large, function in the Roman Empire, the same as we view it in terms of America. Okay? There were some people that are conquered people. They are in slavery. Most of them are what are called bond servants. Bond servants, basically, someplace in your teenage years, into your early 20s, you basically kind of sign your life away to become somebody's employee. While you're their employee, you make money that you get to kind of bank. You can buy a house. You can get married. There's lots of freedom in all of it. And you're doing all that because you're trading away your liberty for a certain amount of time, usually seven years. And then you walk out with a wad of cash and a skill set. So you understand a little bit what the context of bond servants are in scripture. But it says this, it says, slaves, obey those who are your masters on earth, but don't just play an external game about it. Don't just be busy when they walk in the room. Don't just have like a screensaver that makes it look like you're doing something when, you know, World of Warcraft has gone six hours running in the background or Facebook or Twitter or anything else. It's saying that when you frame this, I want you to frame this not like that's your boss, but like you're working for me. I want your integrity, your character have the same reputation as my reputation. You get where that's going? Now, that gets real interesting questions, doesn't it? Am I treating my boss that way? Well, let's make it worse. Am I treating my teachers that way? Am I bringing that sort of respect to politicians? Or people on some blog or something that I disagree with. In general, it's sort of an open question about how do I relate to others? And do I have integrity in all of it? How do I look at things? I can look at it and say, well, that's my boss, or that's my teacher, or that's my spouse, or that's my kids. And God's saying, I want you to look at it a little broader than that. I want you to look at it differently than that. And then he says at the end, look, I'm going to reward you in the context of who you truly are. Now, here's the thing. I can't change politicians. I can't. And I can't, I, I can't change my kids. I, I've tried. I can't change my woman. <sighs> but you know what? I can change me. Am I going to be the sort of husband that God wants me to be? Am I going to be the sort of father, the sort of employee, the sort of American that God wants me to be? And am I focused on that? Or we live in a culture of complaining, right? We live in this little victim culture of woe is me, somebody's done me wrong, and we keep track of it. There's tens of thousands of websites 
Okay, that, that's it's great. And, and trust me, I've been victimized, so I get it. I can't do a whole lot about that except pursue healing. But what I can do a lot about is, am I a great husband? Am I a great father? Am I a great employee? Am I becoming all God wants me to become? Again, if you walked out of here today, then the question becomes, how much would that change your family? How much would that change your marriage? How much would that change your school? And you may go, oh, well, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything tomorrow. You're right. This is a river. It, 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 over a long period of time, smooths out the stones. Christians are like a lot of people. We overpromise and underdeliver because we get emotional on some Sunday and make some promise. No, 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 no. Who are you going to really be? You know, I've, I've, I've talked to fathers before, and they're like, oh, you know, my, my kid did X, and, you know, I, I really don't know what's going on in their life, and how do, I, how do I fix it all? Do we have a Bible study three nights a week? No. 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 You lost your kid. How, how long have they been lost? 18 months? Okay. So you, you've walked away for 18 months, and they've been on autopilot because you've been disengaged other than yelling at them when the cops bring you, them home or, or, or their grades. You've got to earn the right to be heard. You dug a hole for 18 months, go fill the hole. It takes time. What's your reputation at work? It takes time. What's your reputation in your marriage? It takes time. What's your reputation? It takes time. But you wake up every day and you say, God, I answer to you for fulfilling the blueprints of the way you want this planet to be, and it starts with me. I'm going to re-engage husband, wife, father, Mother, I'm going to re-engage these things the way you wanted me to. I'm not going to get it perfect. And over the long haul of time, it does change things. But you know what? Even if it didn't change things, you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a person of integrity. I'm a person of character. I know who I am. And then the verse that I didn't want in this week's sermon... (laughs) <laughs> Hebrews 13, 17, talking about church leaders. <laughs> so pay attention. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they keep watch over your souls. As somebody that has to give an account. What? Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. What, what, what's going on? It says obey and submit. It means that, you know, sometimes you lower your agenda for the sake of somebody else's agenda and you do what they actually tell you to do. Why? Because they, the, the elders, the staff at this church, me, we, we're held accountable by God for how you turn out. That doesn't seem fair. You're right. It really doesn't, does it? It doesn't. But I've got an answer for whether or not you stepped into the kingdom and changed the world through your words and your thoughts and your feelings the way it should have. And and it goes on and explains a little bit. Not only am I going to have to give an account, but let them do this with joy and not with grief. Well, what does that mean? It means that this obedience and submission that you could offer to me could produce joy in me. 
and the elders and the staff. That you, whether you know it or not, in your hands, you jump into a small group, you jump into ministry, you write a word of encouragement, you pray for me, all kinds of things. You can produce all kinds of joy in me and the elders and the staff. That's within your grasp in terms of obedience and in terms of submission. The other thing that's within your grasp is my grief. What does that mean? Well, it means this. You know, I've been doing this a long time. It's really just a show on Sundays. It's, just, it's a game people play. By and large, people think that they're probably saved by grace, and that's great, but they have this obligation to show up on Sunday morning. So they, they show up on Sunday morning, and I, I prattle on about whatever. And it's, you know, maybe true, or it could even be inspiring, whatever. But then they go to lunch, and they just never think about it again. And, and we play this little sick joke every week. Wow, like a dark fast. But that's ultimately what pastors believe, don't they? If there is no submission, if there is no obedience, if you don't transform into what God intended for you to be, then I'm failing at my job, and all I can do is grieve over the fact that I failed at my job, and you failed to be all you could have been in the kingdom. And then it says at the end, that's not going to be profitable for you. Does anybody want a burnout authority figure in charge of them. Yikes, right? I mean, just bitter, mean, it's all waste of time, everything sucks, blah, 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 blah. It's like that goth kid from, you know, junior high who sat in the back, but somehow made it through their whole life still with black fingernails and a bad attitude. (laughs) Obey your leaders and submit to them. They keep watch over your souls, and they've got to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, because that's not going to be profitable for you. To add to your list of homework would be measuring yourself in terms of, do you feel like you're on page with us, where we're trying to lead this church? Are you volunteering someplace? Are you sacrificially giving? Are you inviting people to church? Kind of the stuff we talk about all the time. Well, Dave, it's all fine and good that you've said all of these things, but, you know, where do we see this modeled in, in Scripture? I'm, I'm glad you asked. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Why don't you have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus? Oh, pull up the big guns. Yeah, I did. Who, although he existed in the very form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped at. But he emptied himself took the form of a bondservant, made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what this thing is all about. It's about Jesus coming and saying, I am starting this incredible revolution called the kingdom. And it is going to flip everything on its head. And the outsiders are going to be inside. And the insiders are going to be outside. There's going to be love and grace and compassion and all this good stuff. And all the disciples and everybody's like, yeah, we want some of that revolution. When do we take over? And he hikes up his pants. And he washes their feet. He says, you want to be first? Go last. Go to the least of these. Love 
your enemies. Be a servant to your brothers and sisters. You want to see the revolution? Get down on your hands and knees. Have this attitude in you that was in Jesus Christ. He, he didn't scramble for his identity. I'm God. You need to obey me. Me, husband. You, wife. Me, watch him ESPN all day long. You cook him steak. I mean, it's not a bad idea if you were thinking about things to do to make a great wife list. Okay, all kidding aside, right? You don't grasp for, I'm offended, I'm upset, I should be in charge, these people are wrong. Stop, just stop, just stop. Pray for your enemies, serve one another, submit to one another. The revolution is extraordinarily different than any revolution you've seen on this planet. Gracious, be long-suffering, be compassionate, submit, obey, be honorable. Focus on what you can do better and ask God for help. When you walk out of here today, look at your boss differently. Look at your teachers differently. Look at your coworkers differently. Look at your spouse differently. Whenever you lock eyes with somebody, you ask God, what can I do to make them great? What can I do to intercede for them? What can I do to thank them? How you've positioned me to, to transform their lives. How can I do that well? Stop looking at people for what they owe you. Ask God what you can do to transform them. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that, that we're not in a revolution where there's some tyranny of idealism that we're grasping for, that we're all trying to do the, the best job so that everybody sees how impressive we are. But God, you've called us to be like your son, to not be trapped by the world in this way or that way, but to, to find a totally different way of doing things. Help us to know what we owe Caesar and our spouse and our boss and everyone else. Help us to know what we owe you, which seems to be everything given what Jesus did for us. Would you strengthen us? Would you awaken us to see the world the way you want us to see it and to engage it the way you want us to engage it? Help us to not just be just one more loud, obnoxious voice out there in culture, but help us to be something that's so different. The people who can't wait to be a part of it. We pray all these things in your name, in the name of Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said.